Welcome to another Pop Your Cherry episode with the Psycho Podcast. I'm your host, Margo Underwood, and these segments are meant to stimulate thought and bring up conversations that aren't normally talked about around the dinner table. Let's jump into it. We are live. We are very alive. And breathing. And very breathing. Much breath. It usually starts with the breath. Let's get esoteric, shall we? No. For those that don't know, Robert is a very dear friend of mine. We met about three years ago when we were both living in Hawaii, and it was instant love. We made eye contact and floated across the lawn with all the hippies, pushing all the hippies out of our way, only to bring us to this moment now. So thank you for for joining us today. No worries, thank you for breakfast. I didn't make him breakfast. I think you hit on something pretty quick. Um, when we met, I was actually in my own isolation. Yeah. And that really does speak to today's topic. Mm-hmm. Um, you're never alone. And when I was in such deep isolation, I did have friends, but I didn't have connections. And when we met, there was an instant connection, which is what most of us are seeking in the world. Absolutely. Because those small moments of connection help break the internal isolation that a lot of us are actually going through, myself included. And with the current pandemic, in the ways it's playing out, a lot of people are having to face isolation, but the people who are struggling with it probably the most are the uncounted which would be our elderly and people who are in the final throes or stages of departing this world. Mm -hmm. Um, Today's topic is about somebody I know who's in isolation in hospice and they are really struggling. Um, It almost seems like they have reached their capacity with those that they can be in contact with and are trying to reach out to someone who can connect with them in some way, shape, or form so that they know they're not completely alone. Mm -hmm. Um, People in hospice right now are completely isolated. They are only allowed to see their care provider and their caretaker. Mm -hmm. Um, No friends, no family. No one is allowed in a hospice facility right now. So it's very interesting to be receiving the calls and texts that I'm getting 
from someone who is trying to finish up their communications. Yeah. Um, and it's a very strange incident because this person is also an accountant. So what they do is they count things. So their version of cleaning up, finalizing is completely different from a lot of, from what everybody else goes through. Right. Um, of course, everyone's brain works differently. I can't even imagine, you know, at the very, like he said, throes of our life, we're kind of coming apart and our brains are reaching onto whatever they can hold um, onto for, for dear life, you know, and those are going to be some, you know, the things that we keep in order in our day-to-day life. And you're also going through a reflection, I feel. The times you didn't get to say, I love you. I'm thankful that you're in my life. I value you. Those all kind of bubble up to the surface. So in that closing statement or those closing statements, being isolated is probably one of the hardest things you could go through in your final days when your accounting is to tell as many people as you still have contact with, thank you, I love you, and I'll be leaving. Right. So let's start off with a little bit about who you are and maybe why you've found yourself kind of as this consistent rock in people's lives. Uh, I've had a very interesting life in the story that I have suffered major traumas that most people will not comprehend in their life at the ages that I comprehended them. Um, I lost both of my parents at a very young age. Um, I am adopted. So I've spoken with people about this and they talk about the first abandonment where it occurred in your life. I'm fortunate, I would say, in that I experienced the first abandonment the day I was born. Um, The next abandonment of my parents dying when I was young was a pivotal change in my life. And I have experienced it many times, as many people do, through friends, lovers, um, other people who instantly something changed and they had to depart. Mm -hmm. So I think I have um, an empathetic ear when it comes to what people are navigating in confusion and loss. Not that I don't struggle with it myself, but to me, it has become almost a natural state. Um, I'll give you an example. I have a friend. Uh, I was doing a job one night and she called me out of the blue and said, my mother just died. And the only response I could give her was welcome to the club Mm -hmm. because she was completely numb, lost, had no comprehension that this was even going to occur. And it was literally an accidental pharmaceutical overdose. So people have an idea in their mind of 
how it's supposed to go, how it's supposed to look. The traditional concept that we're raised with is that your parents are going to grow very old and one night they're going to fall asleep and you already know it's coming. So you've had your time to say your peace, your work out your aggressions, um, your betrayals and get the closure that we're told we'll get in this lifetime before the departure. My history has been very instantaneous. So that educated me in the fact that people go through things every day and it sounds cliche that we don't expect. There are traumas in life. And some people will just say that's life. Other people will say that's life, but at the same time, they bury the trauma very deep, almost compartmentalize it so that they never have to experience it again. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't give the closure that you see when people are diagnosed with something that's going to take time and has an end stage. They have the knowledge that they're going to be negotiating this with everybody around them. The pandemic has changed that paradigm because people who are now diagnosed with terminal anything are no longer allowed to have visitation. They're no longer to have physical touch. Mm -hmm. um, as a general rule, even their providers are not to touch them except maybe to roll them but they're not there to hold their hand like a family member or a friend would do so that you can feel the chemical of oxytocin, right. which is created off of touch. Right. Um, a little history, more history about myself. I tend to be someone that people attract to when they are struggling with their own trauma that they don't really know how to negotiate. Mm-hmm. So they usually end up somewhere in my sphere. It's not something I've asked for, but I'm told I'm very compassionate and honest about where they are in that struggle. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit about me. Well, you have definitely always been there for me in my time. You're not alone, Margo. I've been there for all kinds of people, but I love you very much and I'm proud of the growth that you're exhibiting every day. Thank you. You're Appreciate welcome. It. And you as well. Thank you. For those that don't know, Robert climbed his first rock climbing wall yesterday. First one. Almost first to the top. One. Tomorrow it's going to be to the top. I'm so proud of him. Tonight. Tonight it's going to be to the top. Maybe. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Right. <laughs> it could just be another fight. <laughs> um, okay. So... Let's dive into let's dive into a little bit more about the unique situation that you have found yourself in um, when it comes to your friend. Kind of, can you give us a little bit of background? Would you be willing to open up about um, that whole situation? Yes. Um, whew, I met this person via somebody that I ran into kind of like you who had a partnership and we became very close friends. This person was 
that friend's husband at the time. Um, and I never developed a really deep relationship with him, but I must have made some sort of impact. So the friend that I established this connection with passed away about six years ago. And their relationship had failed prior to that. But for some reason, this person has always kept me somewhere in mind. And I didn't know that until recently when I started receiving texts asking for a conversation, communication, um, an ear, help. Help is a really big one. Um, and it kind of shocked me because I haven't spoken to this person in almost four years. Right. So as of right now, over the last week, I am basically the live contact. Mm -hmm. Um, the calls are coming through in very random spaces as this person is in stage five, which is basically the last stage of the death process. Um, and is also in isolation in a hospice due to COVID. No one can come see him. No visitors, very little physical contact due to the fact that his caretakers are in and out of the property. So I've sort of ended up in... The family mm -hmm. is what I would say. Mm -hmm. um, you and I have, know the concept of Hanai. And Hanai is the family that you choose. It's the Hawaiian word for it. It's not the same as your Ohana, mm -hmm. which is the family you're born into. Um, <clears throat> and it's kind of difficult because COVID has made me look at my own mortality mm -hmm. in a completely different way. I feel very blessed that I chose to move to Hawaii because there I learned about being alone. And so Definitely. it gave me some strength when COVID hit basically in March to understand what the process of isolation mm -hmm. really does look like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my friends have been reaching out to me during the COVID experience with their own levels of fear, regret, anger. Um, but this one in particular hits home because my own mother went through hospice. But we were very fortunate because it was a different time and we could do hospice at home all the way to the end. Right. Right now they can't do that because caretakers and providers cannot come into your home as a general rule. They can't go from home to home. So we have a lot of people who are isolated in retirement centers. We have a lot of people who are isolated in hospice centers. And my heart really goes out to the ones in hospice because that's the time you don't want to be alone. Yeah. And he's an older gay male. So he doesn't have the traditional family paradigm. Right. Uh, his parents have already passed away a long time ago because of his age. And 
as most uh, gay, transgender, lesbian couples, they don't have children. So if they don't have a partnership, they're basically walking down the last path by themselves. Mm-hmm. And the only people they have to reach out to are those who come to visit friends, nieces, stuff like that. But with the capacity of none of those people being allowed in the house, um, it has to be something completely different. And I wish I could say I understand it, but I don't yet. Are the emotions that you're feeling... Um, when he calls you or texts you, are those feelings of empathy, um, of, uh, in regards to what he's going through or are these your own emotions or are the, is it a mix of both? Because like you said, he's not someone that has been close throughout your whole entire life. So this is I would say a very strange situation to be, you know, experiencing right now. The strangeness of the situation when you ask about my emotions is a feeling of helplessness, which I'm sure a lot of people outside the hospice system are going through. I am oddly, which is probably how I've gotten my reputation with my friends, the one who jumps in the car or grabs a flight and I will be there like, you know, Mm. blink of an eye. Um, especially if there's a trauma situation. Yeah. With this, what I'm experiencing the most is almost a numb helplessness. Yeah. Because all I can do is answer the phone. Right. And I make it a priority to answer the phone. If I miss the call, I call this person back. I know there's not going to be a coherent conversation, but I think at this point, just hearing a voice mm-hmm. is almost as substantial as holding a hand. Yeah, I mean, as much as we dog on technology right now, it's kind of become important um, for these individuals. For a lot of individuals, it goes beyond hospice. Yeah. Um, but one thing I've noticed is that I tend to be somebody who calls people back when they text me. Yeah. And sometimes they call me irritating for that. But most of the time, 99% of the time, they answer. Mm. Because I think that as technology has become very important with social apps and staying quote unquote connected, we still like human voice. Yeah, absolutely. And the voice can be incredibly soothing compared to mm-hmm. a text that says, hey, I got your text. I, I'm here for you if you need something. Yeah. Um, and I happen to be verbose if you haven't caught that yet in this interview. Uh, my friends say I'm very verbose and I have been my whole life. I talk a lot. Yeah, you do. And I have no That's problem okay. with that. okay. I love it. I have a lot to say in this lifetime. Your voice is soothing and you have great insight. And I mean, for anyone who has a problem with it, send them my way. No worries. (laughs) I've done that once before. Um, I think think the concept that we're talking about today, though, is 
um, loneliness yeah. in a dramatic, dramatic way. So how do you manage these types of situations when someone is coming to you and laying all their shit out on the table and still prioritize your own shit that you're going through? Well, when someone comes to me, I put my shit aside Mm -hmm. Um, because it's a bag that I've always carried. So I can open it up and pack it and unpack it. But when someone else is in need, it's not about me. I have insight from the things that I know. So most of it is my personal experience and my personal opinion. Um, But as far as my emotions, it took me years to not overlay their situation onto my life. And I'm still working through that. Like, I can't overlay this person's exit from this planet onto my life. But I can be there for them, understanding that they must be going through more than I can comprehend in this moment. And oddly, it's going to sound really lame. Um, Gratitude. Gratitude for the fact that I can actually be there for somebody. Not gratitude that I'm not in that situation. Yeah. Um, Because I would hope that if I was in that simple situation, someone would be there for me. Absolutely. What do you think the hardest part about social isolation has been for you specifically? Uh, Demons. Mm -hmm. And I went through that prior to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll tell you what. We're still going through. Always. We're always always meeting our demons. There is no such thing as no shadow side in your life. And our wounds are lifetime wounds. Sometimes we let them scar over. Uh, sometimes we open up the scars to let them bleed. Um, I have the capacity to do that, and I'm very thankful that I've given myself the capacity to do that. Um, I'm a man who can cry, which most people don't see as a sign of strength. Um, There are times recently um, with this current situation, when I got a call the other day and the confusion of the text came through, there was a moment of, I need to give you someone's number because I can't reach them. And we went through nine different phone numbers. This person has known this phone number for years, you know, like mm-hmm. a snap. Um, and when we finally got the communication through and this person was back to a calm state because they got the communication through, I had to step back for a minute, let the emotions well up and drop some tears. And when I do that, I usually go do it alone Mm -hmm. because I don't really feel in that moment that anybody needs to see it. It's just a cathartic release on my behalf. What other types of self-soothing techniques do you incorporate in order to kind of mitigate the effects of all of these heavy emotions? I had a huge trauma years ago and I could not stop the loop 
effect of the trauma. So I went to a therapist who told me to go home and meditate. And basically I had been up 22 hours a day in this loop trauma, day and night, on my knees in the backyard crying, praying, everything you could think of. And without even knowing what I was doing, one day I pulled out my bike and went for a bike ride. Mm -hmm. Because I just somewhere couldn't take the thought anymore. And while I was bike riding, I had to focus on the pedals. I had to focus on not falling over. I had to focus on so many things that you take for granted when you're in a good mood riding a bike. And I went back to the therapist and he said, I want you to go home and meditate. I told him you're fucking nuts because like, I just told you I left a place from that kind of isolation and trying to find that tranquility. And his question to me was, well, what are you doing? And all I could tell him is I'm riding my bike right now. And he's like, keep doing that. That mm -hmm. is your meditation. Mm -hmm. So when I go through a trauma or I'm experiencing trying to navigate trauma with someone else or isolation or which I generally find is fear in isolation, um, I tend to walk. Mm -hmm. I'll go for a walk. It sounds really lame. It sounds, I think it sounds lame. almost too simple, but it works for me. I mean, when you're moving, you're also, and, and when you're exercising, you're also producing chemicals in your brain and that are stress relieving chemicals that are um, regulating your cortisol, stuff like that. So I can understand how that would definitely give you a physiolog physiological um, response to stress. Um, so I would also reach out for hugs. I have, I'm very fortunate that I have a lot of friends like you that are huggers. Oh, I'm a hugger. I'm a kisser. They can actually like... I'm a caresser. Right. If I was having a really bad moment, I could jump in bed with you in a non-sexual way. Yeah. And that has a soothing effect on the soul. Contact is probably the most important thing we have in our society. Absolutely. And right now, the situation that I'm going through is the top pinnacle of what we as quote-unquote social creatures are lacking in so many ways because we've been taught if you touch someone, it's obviously a sexual move. Mm. So to hear the story of this person, how he tells me he's isolated, when I, you know, I came to, to spend some time with you, but I would have immediately turned around and literally gone back in a heartbeat if I was allowed to be in that building. Right, of course. So I think it is a really strong example of where we are right now. And people say right now as in the pandemic, but it opened my eyes to how many people are in, I, I want to say retirement homes, but that's not really it. There's more of a, there are more people in old folks homes. I don't know another way to say it yet. Um, who are basically alone. We have, as a society, walked away from our elders. And we've kind of put them in boxes so that we don't necessarily have to deal with 
the things that it brings up in our lives. So we isolate them. And a lot of them, I would love to sit down and interview when this is over mm. as to what their experience of isolation was, because I'm, I'm almost sure that at least half of them would basically tell you nothing's changed. Mm. That's an interesting way to look at it. I was going to ask you kind of what, uh, what kind of personal experience based advice you could give to our listeners on approaching this or even stimulating thought on how to approach this with members in their life or whatever, because it can be intimidating and you're right. Like it brings up things in our lives that make us feel uncomfortable, like death and going senile and stuff like that. And I think coming to terms with these things as death is a part of life, that's kind of what makes us appreciate life um, even more so. If if life just lasted forever, I mean... How much would we actually put off compared to what we're putting off now? A lot. So you asked me what I could relay. Um, call your friends. Call them. Don't send them a text. Yeah. If you're lucky enough to still have family, embrace them. If you have traumas with them, bring it to the surface. But let it go once you bring it to the surface. That's something I've been working with a lot with a lot of people I know is how to approach a historic trauma that has been swept under the rug. Or there is resentment. Oh, yeah, once we get into the word resentment, um, that opens like a whole nother thing that I've been working with with so many people, yeah. so many of my friends. And I didn't realize what it was until I actually had to go through it. Right. Um, and once again, the isolation, Hawaii. When you move to the middle of nowhere, literally isolated 3,000 miles in the ocean from any direction, a lot of things come up. And I'm very fortunate, you know, you'll know that I chose the island with the volcano. Yeah. So that energy just wells up. Mm -hmm. uh, but my honest front would be connect. Yeah. And I've met somebody recently through you who has really made some huge jumps in my thought pattern within a very short time mm -hmm. because of honesty. Yeah. And that honesty is really refreshing because yes, it could hurt at first, but if you don't get it out, it's going to build like a, like a cancer in your body. Absolutely. Um, and if you don't reach out and tell these people, Hey, you know what? This helped me grow. It hurt like hell at the moment, but I'm really thankful for you because of that. And I love you very much because, uh, one of my mantras is I'm really thankful for my friends, but I'm a thousand times more thankful for my enemies. Mm, that's interesting. Because they really did show up and bring something out in me mm. that I really needed to look at. Yeah. But the best thing, I mean, right now what we're missing is, I can't say love, but it is love. If you look at most societies around the world, many societies, the revelry of generational life, the grandparents serve a purpose all the way to the end. Right. 
the parents change from children to teens to parents to having their own children to the grandparents who are there in the house to help the younger generation get their foot established. And we've kind of thrown that out in our current society. Mm -hmm. So the isolation that this person that I'm working with right now, my friend, is the pinnacle of what that all looks like. You know, a hundred years ago, your grandmother would die in your house. There'd be no hospice there. You'd be working to keep them. And we've grown so quickly that we've forgotten that these elders were the people who got us to where we are. And yet when it comes to us having to deal with them, we've completely changed as a society to kind of dismiss them, put them in a box and pseudo let them go to their demise because we're way too busy. So don't be so busy that you can't tell somebody that like, hey, I'm thinking about you and I love you. Mm -hmm. It can change their entire world, not just their day. Thank you for opening up your personal experience to us and um, bearing your soul and we could probably go on forever about this. We do. <laughs> and I think that you brought up a great point. I will be interviewing members in hospice or elderly in old in uh, retirement homes um, to find out what their experience has been and if it hasn't changed. Um, so thank you to all my listeners who tuned in um, for this heartfelt episode. Um, I hope that we were able to give you some insight. Thank you, Margo. I love you. I love you too. I love you guys. We love you. Everybody love each other. Say hi. Call your friends. Tell them you love them. Caress them. And thank them for how important they truly are in your lives. Enemies included. Thanks for joining another Pop Your Cherry segment. I really hope that this is some food for thought and that you guys have something to chew on for the rest of the week. Music is Face In It by Fallen For Autumn on Instagram. That's F-A-L-L-E-N-F-O-R-A-U-T-U-M-N. Go check her out. Give her some love. See you guys next time. Wrap your hands around my waist and bury your face in it. Around my-